Good evening. You all fit on the benches tonight. That's nice. You don't have to sit on the floor. We're not going to chase bubbles again, so you can stay sitting. All right? Tonight, I'm just simply going to tell you a story about myself. When I was a little boy, probably smaller than you, but what we want to learn tonight is that God loves little children so much that He assigns guardian angels over all of you. So you have angels watching over you. You can't see them. But the Bible says in Matthew chapter 18, Take heed that ye despise not one of these little ones, for I say unto you that in heaven their angels do always behold the face of my Father which is in heaven. So he's saying that we should not be mean to little children because he has angels watching over, over little children. I think he has angels watching over the big children too. But in the Bible there's a, there's a story about a little baby. I wonder if you ever heard of this story. About a little baby that was in a basket. Do you ever hear that story? Well, there was a little baby called Moses. And they were supposed to throw all the babies into the river. Remember that? Well, God had his angel watching over baby Moses. And his mother put him in, a, in, in, a, in an ark. And it says that she laid it in the bulrushes. And then the queen came down, and, or the princess came down and to the water. And it says in the Bible that baby Moses cried. Did you know that? kind of gave away his hiding place, right? But what happened? God took care of baby Moses. He got to go back with his mama. So I think that was a guardian angel watching over baby Moses because God had a lot of work for him to do, and baby Moses had a lot of growing up to do, right? So he was a baby that God watched over, his guardian angels watched over in that little ark, in that little... In the, in the river there. Well, I think God did something like that for me one day. When I was a little boy, I was about four years old. Are you four? We have a four-year-old. All right. I was about four years old, and I was living with my parents down in the state of Florida, and it gets really, really, really hot down in Florida. And I was too little to remember... Oh, everything. But one day we were playing, and out on the back porch was a refrigerator that didn't work anymore, and it had a handle on it, and you opened the door, and when you closed it, you locked it. So when the door went closed, it, lo it locked the door. And we were playing hide-and-seek or something like that. I think my mommy says that I was playing hide-and-seek. That part I don't remember. But I decided I'm going to crawl inside this refrigerator and I'm going to close the door and see how I can get back out again or something. And I went in this refrigerator on the back porch and I closed the door and it locked. And you can't open refrigerator doors from the inside. So I was little like you and I could curl up and I could crawl in there and I closed the door and now I can't stand up. And I'm all curled up in there in this refrigerator, and it was not plugged in. 
So it was, it, was, it was really hot. And it kept getting hotter, and nobody came. And it was dark in there. I couldn't even see. I remember that. And you know what? There's one thing I remember that I wanted so badly right then. And guess what it was? It was my blanket. I wanted my blanket so bad right then, and I didn't have it. And I couldn't get it. And I pushed on that door, and I pushed on the door, and I pushed on the door, and it wouldn't open. And so I started crying. And I started crying for my mom. And I just cried louder and louder. Well, my mom heard me, but she didn't know where to find me. Right? Because I was hiding, and it was a pretty good hiding spot. <laughs> and pretty soon she couldn't hear me anymore. Because I couldn't cry anymore. Yeah, I was, I was, I was out of wind. I, I don't remember much. I do remember one thing, and that is when they opened that lever. And the door opened up, and the light shined in, and I could breathe again. And I, my mommy found me. And she took me out. Now, I don't remember anything after that again. I just remember going in and coming out. And then I can't remember anymore. And I think God was watching over me. And that he sent his angel. And he watched over me. And he helped my mommy find me. And she came and opened that refrigerator door. Because if she didn't open the refrigerator door, I would have suffocated. I couldn't breathe anymore. So never go inside a refrigerator. Not even for fun. That's, it's just not a good thing to do. And then that refrigerator, the door was taken off or something. So I think God has special purpose for you tonight. That as you grow, God has a special plan for you. And He watches over you. And he's going to keep you. So when you grow up to be big, then you can serve the Lord where he has, where he has you and where he leads you. All right? Uh, let's close our eyes and I'm going to pray for, for the little children. All right? Father in heaven, we come here tonight. We thank you for the children that are here tonight. Thank you for your protecting hand over them, your guardian angels, your promises. Thank you for your great love you have for children. Lord, we love them too tonight. We pray your protection on them, keep them from the evil one, keep them from the violence. Pray that you would just um, guide and undertake for them in their lives. If they would grow up, they would choose to serve you, they would choose to love you, and you could use them in your kingdom. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Okay, you can go back to your parents.
Say good evening to each and every one here this evening. It's good to see some familiar faces by now. You know, it almost feels like a marathon, doesn't it? Going to church every night, going to work every day, and we're right in the middle. You have what it takes to go to the finish line. So I do appreciate your attendance tonight, appreciate your presence, appreciate your attentiveness. It's a blessing. It's a blessing to, to share with you. So tonight, I believe we have a word from the Lord again. And I had to think, it just kind of came to me, I don't know, this afternoon or evening. You know, last night I said a lot about telling Jesus something. Didn't we? Did we talk about telling Jesus something? I said, we need to tell him what we want him to do for us. Now tonight, we want to talk about Jesus telling us something. Is that fair? Is that fair enough? Last night, you had all the opportunity in the world, or in the evening hour, to come and tell Jesus something, what you want him to do. And tonight, the burden of the Lord is Jesus has a word for us. Jesus has something that he wants from us. I think that's a fair deal. Open your Bibles to, to 1 Samuel chapter 16 again. We look at these couple verses here of Samuel representing us and God speaking. It's where he's choosing another king. He's anointing another king, but he doesn't know who it is. He has a lot of choices here in the house of Jesse. But he says something very significant when we think about our theme of the heart this week. So in verse 6 again, let's read it again. And it came to pass when they were come that he looked on Eliab and he made this observation and he said, Surely the, anointed, the, the Lord's anointed is before him. And the Lord said unto Samuel, Look not on his countenance or on the height of his stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord seeth not as man seeth, for man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. That's what we're talking about. That part of us, the heart, not the ticker, but the heart, the seat of emotions, the dwelling place of the Most High, the Holy Spirit's dwelling place in us. That's what God is looking at tonight. And last night... I suggested that maybe there is somebody here who is just pleading for Jesus Christ to look at their wounded heart and to take notice. That's what we talked about last night. Now, how small of a thing, how small of a thing can our Lord Jesus Christ see in our heart? And we get by. How small does it have to be? Well, turn with me to uh, Hebrews chapter 12. How small does it have to be within my heart for Jesus to see? Or how small does it have to be that we can get by? Hebrews chapter 12. 
I'm going to start with verse 14, but it's found in verse 15. How small can it be and we get by? Follow peace with all men and holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord, looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. That's an interesting verse there. Lest any root. A root is something that lies beneath the surface. You knew that, didn't you? The root is something that lies beneath the surface and we pay absolutely no attention to, unless you're some kind of specialist, to the root. It lies beneath the surface. We don't look at it. We don't discuss it. We don't dissect it. It lies there underneath the surface, but it is doing something. Now, I wonder how small that root can be in my heart that Jesus Christ will not notice. Looking diligently, lest any man. Now, take a look. That is singular. So we have singular here, lest any man singular fall from the fall of the grace, fail of the grace of God, and it says, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. Now there's something happens in that transition there, if that's the right word, but it goes from a singular man that has a root. And it says that many are defiled. Now how can this take place, brothers and sisters? That if the root is found in one, how can it defile many? Well, we look at this as being a root of bitterness. And it's springing up. I understand that. It springs up and it's causing us trouble. So I looked at that word um, bitterness... And it's what I thought we would consider bitterness. So we use that word today as something being bitter. But when the writer's writing this, he's thinking back to Deuteronomy 29, verse 18, and it says this, the root, a root of wormwood and gall. Now that's disgusting stuff. That is bitter stuff. That is poison. And tonight I'm talking about poison in the pews. And you can keep that and you can document that. I'm going to refer to poison in the pews tonight stemming from a root. is poison in the pews. Bitterness is simply poison. Now we identify bitterness as ill will, hard feelings, and uh, however else you want to describe that. Bitterness. A root of bitterness springing up there. Now, now, I'm concerned about something here tonight as I look at that verse. Lest any root of bitterness, and the part that really concerns me is that there's a root of bitterness found in, in the brotherhood and that there could be many be defiled. That's concerning to me tonight. Now, let's look at Revelation chapter 21 about the defile part. This is why I'm so concerned tonight, because I'm a part of a brotherhood. I am. I'm a part of a brotherhood. I, ho I hope you're a part of a brotherhood. And now if there's this root in there that can defile many, 
there's a potential for something disastrous to happen here. And what I'm concerned about is in Revelation chapter 21, and the reason I, I looked at this is I thought this would make a good sermon sometime. This is not the sermon tonight, but I thought it would make a good sermon sometime when I read this in Revelation chapter 21, verse 27. Now what we have here is the writer describing the glories of heaven, the glories of the new Jerusalem, the glories of the gates that never close because we're never afraid, and the light to walk in the light of the Lamb, it says, this glorious things he's talking about. And the reason I'm concerned tonight is it says here, there shall in no wise enter in anything that defileth. Now, if there's a root among us that can, can defile many, it would refer that we cannot enter there. There shall in no wise enter there into it anything that defileth, neither whatsoever worketh abomination or maketh a lie, but they that are written in the Lamb's book of life. And the word defile there has the idea of To make profane and to pollute. It's not going to be there, folks. So what are we talking about tonight? Before I give you the title, I want to tell you how this sermon came about. So I had a a young individual come to me, and they were of the youth age. They were young. And he, they had heard about being hurt. They had heard about bringing their hurts to Jesus. And the individual understood that part of it. And he came to me. I could still see where I was standing. I could still know the conversation. And he says this. I'd like to, I'd like to hear a sermon sometime about the one who laid the wound. He says, what about the one who laid the wound? And I thought, okay, somebody wants some answers. But what answers is he looking for? And in my observation, this individual wanted me to prepare a sermon and... <clears throat> The perpetrator, or perpetrator, however you say that big word. You know what? You you know you understand the question. Well, what about the? Mm. I understood his circumstances. I, I understood his perspectives. And I thought this is a tall task. And so, out of that board, with this sermon was born. Wounded warrior called to forgive. That's, that's, that's the words that Jesus wants to give to us tonight. Wounded warrior, the call to forgive. You know, we, we talked about in Jeremiah a couple times about his wound is grievous. But he said that I must bear it. And tonight, what will make that burden easier to bear? That's what we should be concerned about. What will make that burden easier to, to, to bear is forgiveness. What is forgiveness? Well, in a rather 
open definition. It is giving up hope that the past will change. That's a definition that we can kind of grasp. Giving up hope that the past will change. Giving back what I have been given. So turn, let's turn in our Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. We're going to look at two aspects tonight. We're going to look at Jesus telling us how to forgive. And then we're going to look at Jesus showing us how to forgive. So here in Matthew chapter 6, it is the Lord's Prayer. But we need to look at it because this is Jesus speaking. Jesus teaches us how, and then he shows us how. So let's look at verse 12. This is, well, let's start at the beginning of the Lord's Prayer. We wouldn't want to break in anywhere on that. After this manner, therefore, pray ye, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debt as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. So that is the prayer that he's showing us how to pray. But Jesus is not done teaching. For if ye forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. What if, what if he ceased reading there? What if he ceased speaking, I should say? But he did not, verse 15, but if ye forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. So I see here tonight that we have, either we have forgiveness or we have unforgiveness. Either we grant forgiveness or we do not grant forgiveness. Those are the two things we're looking at. And Jesus is very clear and very plain that he desires us to forgive. And that it is being taken notice, it is being recorded by God Almighty whether we forgive or whether we do not forgive. And that is very sobering. It's a sobering truth. It's a truth we cannot alter. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. You know, it's kind of interesting that when we pray that, we become responsible, really, and we're asking God to forgive us our debts just as we've been forgiving our debtors. Are we really sincere when we say that? Do we mean business with God? So as I think of forgiveness and the ultimate plan is God's pardon of sin, we experience God's forgiveness. And that forgiveness is the act of excusing or pardoning others in spite of error. And that is so difficult. In spite of somebody else's error, in spite of their wrongdoing, I forgive. It's a choice. So forgiveness is to receive and forgiveness is to grant. Forgiveness is the trait it is a trait of a true Christian. Do you find it difficult to forgive? I would say we probably do. And you know, the other night I said in 2020, we had 
a lot of opportunities to be discouraged. And you know what else I discovered? In 2020, I had a lot of opportunities to forgive and forgive and forgive. And today, I still have to forgive when they come to mind. It's a choice. You don't have to forgive. Did you know that tonight? You don't have to forgive. That was one of your options. And God, Jesus says what happens if we don't. Neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. How would you like to stand before God Almighty on Judgment Day and discover that He has not forgiven your trespasses? And we're defiled like we read in in Revelation chapter 21. That unforgiveness defiled us. That is enough to bar us from heaven's door. Simply not forgiving. Did you have opportunity to forgive today? You don't have to raise your hand. Did you have opportunity to forgive this week? Yeah, there, there, there are opportunities. We need to capitalize on our opportunities. Now I said Jesus taught us and he spoke and he's teaching and he's telling us how to forgive. And this is what he requires. And this is what he is expecting from those who follow him. Now, do you think that Jesus really meant what he said? And then we prove that we believe he meant what he said. So out of our wound comes our ministry, I said. So we've all been hurt. We've all been wounded at some point in some way, and it all looks different through different lenses. But out of our wound comes our ministry. But a ministry will never proceed out of a wound that has not granted forgiveness. The ministry is dormant. The ministry is hindered, is bound. You know, somewhere along the line down through the ages, it seems like the Christian has made it an option. It seems like the Christian has made it an option to forgive or not to forgive. Well, unforgiveness is sin. It's part of that all unrighteousness we read about on Monday night. Unforgiveness is sin. Do we still want to barter? Do we still want to barter with it? Now, so Jesus tells us how to forgive. I would like to look at how he showed us how to forgive. In Luke chapter 23. Now this is Luke's account of the crucifixion. So I must take you to Jesus again to seek our solution for our wounds, to seek a solution for our hurts. Now we're talking about unforgiveness. That is that root of bitterness that springs up in in, in Hebrews. It's the poison that I'm talking about. It's the poison that we find in the pews of the church is unforgiveness. Do you believe that that is poison tonight? Do you agree with me that unforgiveness is poison? Do you agree with me that a bit of poison, a bit of unforgiveness in one will influence others? 
Yes. So Jesus told us how to forgive. In, in Luke chapter 23, let's look at verse 32. So he's taken out, out of town there. And now this is, the, this is Jesus Christ. This is the Son of God. This is the master physician. This is the, the one who did all those healings we read about last night. This is the same man. This is the same person. This is the same one. And there were two others, malefactors, led with him to be put to death. And when they were come to the place which is called Calvary, there they crucified him. And the malefactors, one on the right hand and the other on the left, then said Jesus, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they parted his raiment and cast lots, and the people stood beholding, and the rulers also with them derided him. Saying he saved others, let him save himself. Pause there. Did you know that Jesus could not do both? That was the challenge they were giving him. He saved others, let him save himself. He cannot do both. I found that interesting. If he be the Christ, the chosen of God, and the soldiers also mocked him, coming to him and offering him vinegar, and saying, If thou be the king of the Jews, save thyself. And the superscription was also written over him in the letters of Greek and Latin and Hebrew. This is the king of the Jews. And one of the malefactors which were hanged railed on him, saying, If thou be the Christ, save thyself and us. And others answering him, answering rebuked him. And the other answering rebuked him, saying, Dost thou not fear God, seeing thou art in the same condemnation? If we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds, but this man hath done nothing amiss. And he said unto Jesus, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. Unforgiveness. The one malefactor experienced that. And the other malefactor experienced forgiveness. And I'd like to see that, that the, the first malefactor, the thief there on the cross, he was simply another wounded warrior. And he lashed out. See, we have a choice. But unforgiveness in our lives will control us and take our hearts and destroy them, leaving them in a twisted pile of rubble, completely useless in the kingdom of Jesus Christ. That's what unforgiveness will do within our hearts. I look at this portion of Scripture as the love's greatest test ever, and that is loving those who hate us, loving those who hurt us. Now, can you imagine Jesus Christ here? He was led out there, and he was already bruised and wounded and bleeding and beaten and tired and exhausted and wore out, and he comes out there, and he still has what it takes to forgive those who hurt him. And he comes out there, and he lays down, and he gives his life, and he spreads his arms out, and his voice, his last words, his tongue speaks, is to his enemies, and for his enemies. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Jesus is being an example here. See, he first taught us, and taught his disciples, and then he's showing us how. I just wish we could really get that picture. He taught us and He showed us. 
I want us to see something about his example here. See, forgiving a friend, forgiving a spouse is understandable. But to forgive an enemy is Christ-like. Forgiving an enemy. His forgiveness here, if we look at this, was spontaneous. His forgiveness here was absolutely spontaneous and without the request for forgiveness. He forgave those people before they ever even pondered the thought of asking him for forgiveness and apologizing to him. And he was pouring out forgiveness. I, I, would, I, want, to look at how that, I want to take a look at how that looks here soon. So his forgiveness was spontaneous, but you and I have to take a moment, we have to take a day, we have to take a week, and consider the fact that is this person, is this individual really worthy of forgiveness? Did they really mean to do it? And if I forgive them, that means they're right. See, Jesus is... is so compassionate here that he feels the injury that these people are doing to their own soul greater than the injury that he was being inflicted with. So they were driving nails in his hands and he looks at the soldiers. Can you imagine making eye contact with Jesus Christ as you're driving nails through his hands? Can you imagine that? And then he says, Father, forgive them. And he sees them doing more injury to their soul than they're doing to his body. Well, just as today, Jesus sees the heart. He's very concerned about the heart condition today. So where's our focus? His focus was on them wounding their soul. Is our focus on our wounded pride and our wounded image over the one who hurt us. So I said you had opportunity to tell Jesus what you want him to do. You have that opportunity tonight. But you're going to have to reckon with something that when we tell Jesus that we've been hurt, and when we tell Jesus that we want him to heal our hearts like we said last night, he's going to have something to say, and that is, did you forgive him? That's what he's saying tonight. We tell Jesus something, and he's going to tell us something. So if you can picture that. I want you to picture that. Because he says he does not forgive. They do not, God does not forgive if we have not forgiven. I said Jesus was interceding. Jesus was 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 forgiving them there in verse 34. Jesus says this, Father, forgive them. Jesus, our intercessor, let's think about that. He did not just think it. Let's, let's consider ourselves needing to grant forgiveness. He did not just think it. Neither did he just say it. He was not just speaking to those people who was beating him. He was praying it. He was praying it to the Father in heaven that His Father would forgive them. He was interceding as He was dying. 
How can we not forgive? He was calling out to his Father in heaven. He was requesting forgiveness as he died. His 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 intercessory prayer spontaneous for me. Do we intercede for the lost? We do intercede for the lost, but will we intercede for the enemy? In Isaiah 53, verse 12, the writer there says that he made intercession for the transgressors. And here he is showing us what that looks like. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. As the the hammer hit the nails. Maybe this is where it all starts. Maybe this is where forgiveness begins. Maybe this is what it looks like to start forgiving. To intercede in prayer for those who have wronged us. For those who have wounded us. Maybe this is what it looks like where we begin. Just as Jesus did, we intercede not by thinking it, not by just saying it, but by praying it. And then we start moving forward. And now we can move forward. We need to intercede for those. We need to intercede for our enemies. I don't like to use it as enemies because it's not only enemies who wound us. And I'm well aware of the fact that you can grant forgiveness and it not be received. I'm aware of that. Whose responsibility is that? It's not yours. We don't take responsibility for somebody that doesn't receive our forgiveness. We are called to forgive. That is what we're talking about. So what effect that these kind and precious and soft spoken words have on the people? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Maybe they heard it. Oh, he's not talking to me. And they tuned it out. Or, boy, that guy's mumbling something again. They always mumble before they die. What, what, what kind of impact did these words of mercy have on the people? Well, what we have here is the people. Group number one was the people. Verse 35, it says, the people stood beholding. Yep. Right there they stood. They stood there like this and they just stood there and they just watched. And those kind, soft words fell on deaf ears, you might say. Unresponsive ears. They just stood beholding. Well, then we have, in verse 35 also, we have a group called the rulers. And they were deriding and talking so loud they couldn't hear him. They had something more and better to say. They weren't about to hear any more teaching from the man named Jesus. They were closed to what he had to say about forgiving. They finally had him where they wanted him. And they were going to get the last words in. They derided him. And those soft, sweet words of forgiveness had no effect on the rulers. Now we have verse um, verse 36. And the soldiers... 
They didn't hear either. It says the soldiers mocked him, coming and offering him vinegar. Folks, do you know how hard it would be to be wounded today and you offer forgiveness to your perpetrator and he turns around and pours vinegar in the wound? It would set us up bolt right. I mean, we had, would have everything that we could stand to keep from reacting. But that's what they did to Jesus. He said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Here, Jesus, have another drink of this. Soldiers, hardened men, knows what it feels like to get beat up. The words of mercy, the sweetest words they could have ever received at that moment fell on deaf ears. How many times? Have we been hurt and we've had somebody pour in salt and vinegar? I say that to say this. Jesus knows how it feels. So we can't say that Jesus wouldn't understand. We can't say Jesus never had it so bad. We can't say that Jesus was the Son of God so that He doesn't know how I feel because He laid there and gave His life so that we can't say that. We are without excuse tonight for having unforgiveness in our hearts. We can see it here in the Scriptures. Jesus told us, and then He showed us. And if you want to let it run off our backs like, we, like the soldiers did and like the people did, we can walk out of here tonight, and we can have that root of poison within us yet. Are we ready to forgive? Are we willing to forgive? You know, these words, these sweet, precious words should have melted the hearts of every people, every one, every person that was standing there. The part of this last, or this phrase that Jesus used, for they know not what they do. Well, Peter, or Paul wrote about it too, and it says, for they knew not which none of the prince of this world knew, for had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. So Jesus is saying in his intercessory prayer, forgive them for they know not what they do. He knew they did not understand what they were doing. Many times our hurts and our wounds and our injuries are caused unknowingly. unknowingly. That somebody didn't even know that they got that that they hurt somebody. And I'm going to say it here. I was going to say it later. So the, he says they don't know what they're doing. You know, one time I had an individual come up and talk to me, and it scares me when somebody says, "I'd like to got a got a moment." Yeah, that's a frightening, and this is why I'm always scared now. So I get pulled aside, and I had offended one brother. I was mortified that I had offended a brother. It was not a, any, in, in my congregation. 
And you just wouldn't believe this, but it was not in word or tongue. That I just can't believe that it had nothing to do with what I said. It was how I looked. And I apologized and apologized and apologized. And I said I would not leave until it was received. And we amended our way or our relationship or we forgiveness was granted and received and we're brothers. Not all our wounds are inflicted knowingly. And we need to realize that. And Jesus realized that. The Christian is expected to forgive when it is requested. So somebody comes to you and says, I'm sorry for hurting you. And you you grant forgiveness. So the Christian is expected to do that. We teach our children that. I'm sorry for hitting you. Oh, I forgive you. So that is expected. That was never asked in Jesus' case. We're expected to forgive according to Jesus' teaching and according to Jesus' example. We're expected to forgive without ever being asked or it being asked and requested. That's a hard thing. It's a hard thing. So this was Jesus' example to us on how to forgive. Now, love and forgiveness in the brotherhood. You know, we're talking about brotherhood here tonight. We're here tonight as brotherhood. And I like to think that in brotherhood is the realm which love and forgiveness is demonstrated, right? In the home and in the brotherhood is where love and forgiveness is demonstrated. So why should there ever be the root of poison in the pew? If the brotherhood is the realm in which forgiveness is demonstrated, there should be no root and there should be no poison in the pews. Maybe that's something we need to work on. Demonstrating forgiveness in the brotherhood. Now Jesus told us, about a, uh, I think it's a parable. You don't have to turn to it. Matthew 18. The, uh, the, I want to point something out about that. Matthew 18 is the uh, ruler or the debtors, however you want to put that. But in Matthew 18, there's something I want, want to point out. It has to do with forgiveness. So really, in this account, it's the parable of the unforgiving debtor, and Peter really wants to know how often he should forgive. We could talk about that tonight. We could talk about uh, how nasty the first servant was to receive forgiveness and not grant forgiveness. You know, that is just unspeakable if you think about that. And then we have the servant who didn't hardly owe anything and and was uh, put in prison. So we could talk about all that tonight. But Jesus says that, And then he says, So likewise shall my heavenly Father do unto you, if ye from your hearts forgive not everyone who his brother their trespasses. So this hits kind of close home. But what I I notice here is, verse um, verse 33, 
Shouldest not thou also have had compassion on thy fellow servant, even as I had pity on thee? That's where it's at. Jesus Christ forgave us, had compassion and pity, but we turn around and then we try to choose and decide who it is that gets our forgiveness and whether we will or not. But what's interesting about this account, it says that there was a ruler. The kingdom of heaven is likened unto a certain king which would take account of his servants. So this king kept a ledger. And in the ledger is who and what they owe. Who and what they owe. Who and what they owe, right? That might not mean nothing to you, but it does to me. Because I know of an individual who had a notebook. And in that notebook, he kept a ledger, a long one, of who said something and when they said it. Whether it was across the pulpit, whether you sat down on a one-and-one, whether he had a little meeting with so-and-so, the notebook was there, and he documented what everybody said. And guess what? That notebook would come out, and he would remember. You said that. Right here it is. I, right here on this date, you said that to me. Right here on this date, you said that in your message. Is there some similarities? Is there some similarities in the brotherhood? Keeping a ledger of name and phone, not phone number, Debt, offenses, and you know what the problem is? The reason we have to keep a ledger is because it's so many, we can't remember them all. Could there be a hindrance to forgiveness if we keep a ledger? I would suggest let's not keep a ledger. We're talking about growing and forgiving and moving on. So we talked about interceding for a brother must follow forgiving. So that is imperative that when we forgive, we continue to pray. And we continue to intercede. That's what Jesus did. Now I'd like to take us to a few verses. Some, well, see, sometimes we think we have it so bad. So in Psalm chapter 41, sometimes we just think we have it so bad, and I know we could compare ourselves to Jesus. He was the ultimate example. Psalm 41. And I'm not undermining your pain. I'm not downplaying your pain and your offense. I'm just, I'm just wanting to look at some scripture. This is, uh, yeah, Psalm of David. Psalm 40, not 41, verse 9. Yea... Mine own familiar friend in whom I trusted, which did eat of my bread, hath lifted up his heel against me. A breach of trust. A brother. 
within the congregation. Somebody we have communion with. Lifted his heel against me. I don't know what all that all looks like in your mind, but he uh, was offended. He got hurt or hurt him. Yea, my own familiar friend. Are we going to forgive? Even if it's somebody that we just had communion with? Now let's turn over to Psalm 55. Psalm 55. Verse 12, is this, is this our situation here tonight? For it was not an enemy that reproached me, then I could have borne it. Imagine that. He's saying that if it wouldn't have been a brother in the church, he could have handled it, right? That's in my own words. For it was not an enemy that approached me, that reproached me, then I could have borne it. Neither was it he that hated me that did magnify himself against me. Then I would have hid myself from him. But it was thou, a man mine, own, a man mine equal, my guide, mine acquaintance. We took sweet counsel together, and we walked in the house of God in company. He's describing just who it was that was against him, that hurt him that offended him, that wounded him. It was not out there on the street. And really, according to that, it wasn't even in the workplace. It was right in here. And this is where there's poison in the pews. Not out there. So is my pain greater than Jesus Christ in our passage in Luke? Or David as he pens the Psalms. So today I have a simple choice to simply forgive or simply not. So here in closing, do we want to be more like Jesus and grow in his likeness? Of course, that is our goal. That's why you're here tonight. You wanted to grow to be more like Jesus. So you come and you sit at his feet one more time. But we're going to have to be completely transparent tonight because God can see that root just like He can see that wound. If we're going to be like Jesus, we're going to do what He says when He told us how to forgive. And we're going to do what He did when He showed us how to forgive. Ephesians 4.32, and be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted. Oh, man, here he says, forgive one another. Along in that whole verse, he he put in, forgive one another. And be ye kind one to another, forgive one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, forgave you. He forgave you because what Christ did on the cross that day. That's what it says. For Christ's sake. So we receive God's forgiveness. We must grant forgiveness. We must grant forgiveness. So tonight there could be someone who just completely controls my thoughts all day long. 
It could be somebody in my life that is controlling my dreams all night long. If I can at least get to sleep. The bitterness running deep. You know, God is not a God of confusion. We know full well if we have unforgiveness in our heart. And I said the other night that Satan is the one that keeps us confused when we are not sure. So here in closing, I do have 11 principles in a list. I'm going to go 1, 2, 3, 4, down through, and I'm going to give them. I don't know that you can write them. Principles of forgiveness that we must follow. Number one, we need to understand and appreciate God's forgiveness to us. I tried to emphasize that. Number two, we need to give our toil and our hurt to the Lord. We talked about that last night. Principle for forgiveness number three, we cannot hold anything against the person. That is when we forgive on condition. See, forgiveness is unconditional. But sometimes we want to forgive on condition that you never do it again. That is the condition I'm going to forgive you on. Number four, we need to show a spirit of humbleness. Not a haughty spirit granting forgiveness. We need to be humble. Number five, we need to show that we have forgiven them. Where's the evidence? Where's the openness? We need to show God's love to them. Number seven, the things of the past are for our learning. Number eight, when we forgive, we can bear fruit in spite of the affliction. Out of our pain comes our ministry. Number nine, we cannot hold grudges. Number ten, we cannot have the victim mentality. As long as I have the victim mentality... It will hinder me from experiencing healing. There's one more, but I want to say something about this. We cannot have the victim mentality. I believe one of the greatest hindrances to forgiveness is to entertain the victim mentality. And I don't even like to to speak about this tonight. But when we have the victim mentality, it puts us in a box and it confines us of what we are able to do and what we allow ourselves to do because we keep ourselves in this box and in this mold of a victim mentality and the, um, the uh, entitlement mentality goes along with the victim. And so we're with, we are suppressed ourselves within this box which does not allow us to function above and beyond the realms of a victim. Do you understand that? Can I make that more plain? The victim mentality. You know, we're, 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 we're in a box. We're in the confines of what a victim is allowed to do. And then we play that part super well. Along with the victim mentality, there goes the finger pointing. Enough said. Number 11, principle of forgiveness. If we do not forgive, our Heavenly Father will not forgive us. That is straight from the Scriptures. So tonight, the root that I was talking about that is ever so small that we wonder if Jesus can even see it in my heart is the poison in the pew. 
And if you're here tonight and you're struggling with poison in the pew, if you're struggling with unforgiveness, or if you're even entertaining whether I should forgive or is this a situation that I, I really need to let go on, I invite you to come forward. There's people that will come and pray with you and lead you on the path of forgiveness that you can say with Jesus, Father, forgive them for they didn't know what they were doing. I invite you to come forward when we sing tonight. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we come to you. We thank you for the power of the scriptures. We thank you for your ultimate forgiveness to us because of Jesus, because of what he did at Calvary. And we thank you for his example of showing us how to forgive. We thank you for his mercy. We thank you for those words that he spoke as he was being nailed to the cross. I pray, Lord, you would search our hearts tonight because you told us, you, you tell us that you, you look into the hearts and you look at the hearts and you search the hearts. And Lord, this small thing in there, this root, Lord, I just pray that you would expose it, you would root it out tonight. I pray that you would help us all to know what this root looks like, what it feels like in our hearts in our lives. You would expose it tonight. I pray that you would bind the powers of Satan, demons, and devils, that he could not distract and influence this service, this invitation, that if there be anybody, anybody present here tonight, may your spirit move amongst us and you would know us. I pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.